So we keep on keeping on. Hey, little humans, I'm Norma Jean, and this is Stay Wild, the podcast about how to keep your quirks in the wondrous world. This is episode number 18, and today we're talking to Kamau Abayomi, who's an artist, poet, DJ, choreographer, youth mentor, and artist activator. He's really a multidisciplinary artist, and as an artist myself, it's it's been an honor to have someone come on the show and talk about all their different projects and a lot of the energy behind that. So I hope you enjoy. And today's toast poem, actually, I'm so excited. Today's toast poem is a poem of Kamau's. Ah, too exciting. So stay tuned for that. I hope you enjoyed today's show. As usual, if you like the show, please subscribe, write us a review, share it with all of your friends, all your all your little humans. And uh, if you are coming to Bali for Bali Spirit Festival, use our code Stay Wild for the five day Spirit Pass, or Stay Wild Abundance if you're going to get the full enchilada Abundance Pass experience. It's also brought to you. Today's show is also brought to you by me, Norma Jean. You can see all my shenanigans at NJ Loves. That's NJ like Norma Jean Loves. Let's get to the show. little humans. All right, today we're here with Kamau Abayomi. Kamau is an artist, poet, DJ, choreographer, artist activator. He's pretty much a multidisciplinary artist. And I've known Kamau living in Ubud for pretty much about five years through creative projects. He ran an open mic that I sang at, I think the first week I came to Bali and it was really like a sign for me, you know, that I should continue down my artistic musical path. Um, so Kamau, welcome to Stay Wild. Peace. So you've been in Bali for... A few years. A few years plus 10. A few, okay. <laughs> and Ubud has changed a lot since the time that I came to Bali. So it definitely must have changed a lot since the time you came to Bali. Yes. All over Bali has changed a lot. Of my 13 years, only four of it has been in Ubud. I live, has most of it been down south in Korobokan. Currently, I'm in Dalung. Mm-hmm. But I'm always, I'm back and forth. I literally come to Ubud maybe two or three times a week. Yeah. So. Cool. Okay. So. You're an artist, right? Did, how did that path start for you? And you're not from Bali, obviously. You're from California, like me. Tell me a little bit about how you ended up in Bali and what that journey was like for you. In 2003, I was in a bookstore in San Francisco where I was born and raised. And um, a woman comes up to me and she says, you have some really strong spirit guides around you and they're telling me to talk to you. <laughs> okay. And that's what I said. <laughs> yeah, right. That's, that's like, exactly what I it's said. It's like the most okay. ubud sentence anyone's ever heard. It's in San Francisco. I love it. Okay. That's exactly what I said. I said, okay. And um, she's like, yeah. And she described one of them and, um, and then proceeded to give me a card that said, on the card it said clairvoyant and tarot reading and these things and when she handed me the card i was just like she probably just wants some money or something but as soon as i had the thought she was just like don't worry about money we need to meet and talk there's information and it's really important and um then we had a little bit of small talk right there and then eventually it was like all right let's meet up yeah and, um, so we met the next day and spoke for maybe two hours or so just in a cafe over in the mission area and um yeah my sister lives in the mission ah, cool. fun stuff yeah and um among a variety of things, she said I would be coming into some money and doing a lot of traveling. And at the time, I was traveling, but only in the States. I didn't even have a passport at that time, and I yeah. wasn't thinking about outside of the United States. And so um, she also mentioned this word. She mentioned Australia, and she mentioned this word, Darig, which she didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it was, but her words were just, this is what they're showing me. There's also other stuff there that they're not showing me. Yeah, so this is in a two-hour discussion amongst mm-hmm. a whole lot of other things. And so afterwards, though, I went and Googled what that word was, 
And Derek is an Aboriginal tribe from an Australian Aboriginal. Yeah. And where Sydney now is, that was once their land. Oh, right. Okay. So, again, it was like, okay, cool. It like the Mohican Indians in New York City. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. But um, it didn't have any relevance for me at the time, right? So it was just like, okay, information, I logged it, whatever. Uh, a few months later, I did come into some money enough to like, allow me to travel wherever I wanted to go. So um, I was like, okay, I'll go on a little journey just exploring and see what's up and, and go to Sydney and just see what that's about. So I wasn't going to just only go there. So I went, I booked a ticket to Thailand. I love Thai food. Between Thailand and Sydney, the Asian who I was dealing with, she said I could have a free stop if I wanted to along the same route. I was like, oh, okay. So that's when I just was searching online. And then I found a website that was talking about Ubud and Bali. And so um, I was like, oh, that place looks cool. I'll go check it out. So that's how I came to Bali initially. So came, did that. I loved it. Stayed for, for 10 days. Went to Sydney, went to Fiji, back to San Francisco. And But Bali resonated with me the most on that on that particular trip. I came back two months later. Connected with some local hip-hop kids who were young and just getting into breaking, b-boying and stuff on the beach in Kuta. Which also enhanced my experience here and gave me a new perceptions like oh y'all doing this over here too cool cool yeah and for, and for those of us at home who are listening what's the difference between breaking and b-boying and breaking is like break dancing right right so b-boying is actually what they call it or b-girling if you're a girl breaking is another it's like the b breaking break boy break girl whatnot break dance is a commercial term they don't really use it people use it a lot more now just in general just because it's easy people recognize it because people don't know what b-boying is but they actually call it b-boying and b-girling that's the actual term cool so, but if you say that to your average person, they'll go, huh? Yeah, no, I was like, okay, let's break that down. Right, okay, exactly. So that's what that is. So I met these youngins when I came for the second time. And then, um, yeah, the clairvoyant was right. I did a whole lot of traveling, touring around Asia. But at the time, I was heavily involved in the spoken word scene in the Bay Area and the States. And I had a theatrical play that I was in, hmm. doing a lot of work with art and activism. So I was touring around Asia. And after I got, I went to India for the World Social Forum in 2004. Mm-hmm. And when I was there for a week, and when I returned to the United States, it was the day after the Super Bowl, one with Justin Timberlake, the war. war. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wardrobe malfunction. Yeah, wardrobe malfunction. (laughs) Right. Like, how offended are you, America, from a boob? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, it's a boob. And that's exactly what I came. I went from India, spending a week meeting people from all over the world who were, you know, bringing their issues to the table, fighting for social justice, political justice, for water, for for all these different issues that are happening. Human things. Human things, right? Um, Better the planet things. And then to go back to the States, and that was the biggest thing in the news. And then, you know, Bush had just got reelected for the second term and I, was, I just had a reverse culture shock I was like you know fuck this place you know I had that last time I went to the US I was like what are you all doing with your lives and then I said I'm so sorry I have a counterculture shock like, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what it was and so it was that moment I was just like I had to go you know live somewhere else for a little while not forever mm. but i was just like i, I want to go live somewhere else and really soak up a place because you know when you tour you stop in a space for you know one day two days and you go to somewhere else yeah. you don't really get to soak it up and even two weeks you know you can experience some stuff but there's nothing like really spending time so i wanted to go somewhere and just spend some time read and write and chill and you know be in an environment with completely new people so bali was 
at the top of the list well second on the list Japan was actually first oh Japan's great but I wasn't gonna teach English I didn't want to do that yeah I, I taught <laughs> English for a couple years and it's interesting because a lot of the time you go to these countries and you want to be in a collaborative space and create projects but the opportunities that are there are within the confines of a specific industry yeah. and you're really boxed in right. but Japan Japan's amazing terribly expensive but amazing right and that's yeah. that's the core reason why I didn't go I didn't want to teach English and how expensive it was mm. and which means the money would go and you know it would have been difficult to try to you know supplement that to stay there so Bali was my second choice because money especially at that time <laughs> money went a lot it could last longer yeah so and this was 2004 2003 okay so well, 2004 when I decided I would come here so that was the top of when I came back from India to it was the top of 2004 and, and then I would leave I would fulfill my, my performance obligations that I had and then in September of that year then I'd come to Bali and I stayed for five months and after that went back to the States for two weeks because after two weeks I was like ah uh, no mm. <laughs> and then came right back yeah yeah. And then go back for five years. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I once didn't go back for, I think, a bit over four. And then my mom was like, I'd like to see you. <laughs> so it happens. So it sounds like you've been creating art for quite a long time. And, and you mentioned that you were involved in the theater and Bay Area social activism and art together. Talk a little bit about how that came about for you, the culture of that growing up, and then how you were able to integrate that into your life here in Asia. I grew up in it essentially as my mother was a theater arts teacher. She was a high school drama teacher. Oh, cool. In my neighborhood in San Francisco, she was doing a lot of work at the African American Cultural Center in, in our neighborhood. Yeah. Where in San Francisco? In Fillmore, Western yeah. Edition. Yeah, yeah. So the cultural center there was, and particularly in you know the 80s, that period when it was really the black arts community was really unified and together. So like it's yeah. so commercial now, everybody's doing everything everywhere. But at that particular point in time, you know, when a theater production that was African American came into town, you know, everybody knew about it. it was like, and everybody went to it. Yeah, you know? yeah. So it was much more tight knit. So she was really active in that. She had a theater publication called Taliba Speaks. Her name is Taliba. Mm. She had a theater publication, and so it would review plays and different things. And so she was real respected in the community. So a lot of times when these performances would happen, the after party would be at our house. Okay. So a while ago, like when I was cleaning out from the last play, like when my father made his transition and I was cleaning some stuff out, my father loved to tell he was a photographer, not by necessarily his profession profession, but that was his love. Yeah. And so he has so many pictures and there's a whole lot of pictures of us, or not us in terms of me, I was, you know, really little, but <laughs> um, like actors, Samuel Jackson's and Whoopi Goldberg's and Danny Glover's all in my kitchen, all looking funny. Yeah. Glasses and drinks and stuff and dancing and everything because we'd have after parties at the house. So like they were really so so I kind of, not kind of, I grew up in that environment. That's and, incredible. And I'd be at the cultural center watching her and I'd be over in the corner drawing or doing whatever. Yeah. And so as it progressed, it was always, I went to the first arts elementary school in the States, in San Francisco, New Traditions was the first arts, where the, the curriculum was based on art. So everything had an art okay. component to it, from math class to English, everything had okay. an art component to wow. it. Wow, and because usually in the US, sorry, we're in the rice fields, so if you hear like little kids or dogs or motorbikes, it's I hope it brings you to Bali with us. But yeah, for in the States, a lot of that arts education, you don't get to differentiate that path until maybe high school. Right. So this is really cool, and I'm sure having that perspective of the great thing that I love about art is that 
it enables me and hopefully other people to see that there's not just one way of doing something, right? right? And there's not just one lens that we experience the world through. And art is about switching up the lens or changing the color of it or changing the feel of it or yeah so I mean it's having that integrated with different subjects in school I mean what was that like like creative math like art math yeah I mean it was beautiful you know because it allows for the total brain to to be in operation as Mm. opposed to just being so analytical logical you can allow your brain to expand and utilizes a greater capacity of itself you know so yeah it was fun it was dance performances all the time music and theater you know i haven't i don't play an instrument now but i was playing an instrument in elementary school yeah yeah what did you play <laughs> played the xylophone man. oh cool i loved it my father bought me a guitar i never played it though because at a certain point i got into skateboarding and that took over my life for the next almost 10 years cool okay <laughs> and, uh, so yeah i mean to, to progress just from when i started skateboarding i got deep into that you know sponsors moving towards going pro then i had i sprained my ankle and that's when I started writing, actually. So I would write comic strips when I was little. Like I would draw, I was drawing more than I was doing any other art form when I was young. I was drawing, you know, would do graffiti. Just my brother was part of a big graffiti crew. So, you know, follow your older brother. Oh uh, yeah, what, what, what exactly is a graffiti crew? A crew of people who go around the city spray painting on walls and buses and okay. signs. <laughs> right, okay. Like not legally, but just, yeah, okay, cool. I like it. Yeah, it's a crew just like a dan- like in hip-hop, you know, a dance crew or a rap crew. Same okay. thing, just a graffiti crew. So, cool. You know, you go, we would, and we were probably the youngest crew in the city. It was a bunch of nine, ten-year-olds going around. <laughs> <school. laughs> Tagging stuff. <laughs> bombing bus yards and, you know, <laughs> running from police and old men. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> drivers and shit. So, but yeah, so skateboarding took over for a while. And then I sprained my ankle doing some some trick or whatnot and then i had to i was just hang i had moved to oakland that time from san francisco this was when i was around 15 and um started just hanging out with kids from my school and they were mm-hmm. all into rap and stuff like that so just started rapping you know and my ankle got better and i got into dancing again i was also into dancing when i was graffiti but not super serious like always trying to practice mm-hmm. but you know at the time in the 80s everybody was breaking too okay you know, and trying to do the moves so this was in the 80s yeah okay cool yeah. and so as the progression of course into the 90s it was all skateboarding and then in high school and then rapping and dancing and then slowly transitioning out of skateboarding and more into you know rapping and dancing yeah and specifically dancing first I had a dance crew performances a lot and a lot of my peers at the time who you know they're all they're top choreographers in the industry now like yeah. big name you know madonna's and jennifer Lowe, like they choreograph these people now um they stayed on that path i moved into rapping and music okay yeah it's interesting a lot of the time You know, it's funny because a lot of creative people have multiple projects, right? And you start out in this nebulous of doing many things. And then one thing, a lot of the time, just you get on an elevator. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and particularly me, I mean, Cancer Gemini, Gemini Moon, (laughs) Mercury and Gemini. I got a lot of things that I do. I have a Gemini Moon (laughs) as well. I have a Gemini Moon. So for those of you at home who aren't familiar, in astrology, your sun sign is generally like your sign in terms of your astrological sign. And we had Levi Banner on on the podcast a couple episodes ago, and he spoke about this really in depth. But your moon sign is really your emotional and creative side. So for a lot of people who have a Gemini, how you express yourself. Yeah. So for a lot of people who have a Gemini moon, you're always doing another creative thing. And and there's many areas of your life in which you express that creativity. Right. Right. 
yeah is and we'll come back to that as, as the current you know what's happening right now with my arts yeah but at the time it was you know i would go deep into like with skateboarding for example i was moving towards being pro and then i took a turn and okay. then just was like nah i want to dance yeah 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 <laughs> and then i just stopped progressing with skateboarding and slowly moved into dancing you know and my whole crew, we were all dope. We were all sponsored in pro. Yeah. Like, you were either pro or sponsored. All our, My entire crew, we were part of that wave of skateboarding in the early 90s okay. that changed skateboarding and what it looked like and how people did it. Like, mm -hmm. we have two legendary skaters in our crew, you know. But I started moving more into, into the hip-hop arts. Yeah. That was what I was feeling. And so, first it was rapping. and I mean, excuse me, first it was dancing, then it moved into rapping, and then into poetry. And just being in the Bay Area, and particularly in Oakland, just the environment is very, yeah. you know, there's a political overtone to it that people are aware of. And when it comes to expressing in an artistic way, a lot of it comes out in poetry and speaking to the nature of what's happening in community, what's happening in the nature of the country politically, socially, for myself, spiritually, just because I was drawn into spiritual arts as well as I started getting older. And um, so naturally from that, it would come out in my art and then people would invite me to participate in different things that were related to activism so like if there was an, an event that was geared towards getting people to become aware of let's say schools not jails was a big thing at that time where they were putting more money into jails oh. than they were into education and schools yeah and so there was a lot of activity around that and so people would invite myself and then i had a crew too they would they would invite us to come and perform at these things because mm. the nature of what we were speaking to in our lyrics so it was in you know it was support yeah you were really addressing the underlying current of what was happening. Right. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting, you know, when you really get some perspective and you live outside of a culture, you can really see how sometimes things are unbalanced or unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And in it is even harder because it's a daily struggle and mm -hmm. things aren't fair and you can't just snap your fingers and fix them. Right. So having that creative expression is so important and as a community, sharing it and embracing it is, I mean, that that's really why art exists in yeah. my mind. It's what brings the community, it expresses the totality of the community, what's happening, where, where it's at, where it's, what's happened in the past, where it could go. The things that the community won't speak, the artists will speak, you know? It's yeah. like, that's the, the nature of what true art and pure art does. And it's also a point of release and sustenance in order to keep going, you know? A, a driving force to keep moving forward. Yeah. Say that, hey, we can't do it, you know? So. And particularly with my community, it's always come through music and singing and dancing and bringing the community together for that. Mm. And traditionally, all over the planet, you see that in different forms. And so it's only natural in particularly a place like the United States where there's just so many issues, always, there always has been, that the arts are a tool to address these things mm. and, and it's also why it's the first thing they go after, governments tend to go after when they want to suppress community or try to put a specific narrative out that they want people to identify when they get rid of those artists who because they the artists will speak the truth yeah so we can't allow that to be on the radio because you know that's going to expose us we can't allow that artist to be on the radio yeah expose. we can't allow that art to get out there because that's going to expose us but right. we will you know saturate the entire field with all this distractive negative stuff that will keep people ignorant in a certain space yeah you know and so like with the art that myself and the crew that I was rolling with would present, you know, it was definitely related to the upliftment of the community. And so we were heavily involved with, with the activist aspect. Yeah, and empowering the community that you were a part of. Mm -hmm.
That's amazing. Cool. Well, did you find that growing up with parents who were so traditionally grounded in the arts, whether it was photography or theater, that it enabled you to really embrace your own creativity in more modern mediums? Yeah, easily, and particularly just because my, my mother pushed it, right? So she put me in an art school, you know, when I wanted to pursue certain things, they allow it. She would, you know, take me to auditions for commercials and, you know, or plays or TV shows or whatever it was. Yeah. It pushed that, and so as I started getting older, and particularly, in, and it was a clear, distinct mark when I moved to Oakland from San Francisco, mm. where my mother just kind of released the reins a lot to let me just go out and do what I wanted. She always just say check in with me, just to let me go explore life. She wasn't a controlling, you know, mother like you have to. Da -da -da. She wasn't like that. So she allowed me to uh, have my experiences and go through what I needed to go through, and um, trusting that I will make the the proper choices. <laughs> Yeah. Right. And so. I mean, there comes a point, right, where the person you are parenting, like, you know, if it's your kid, I've never had a kid yet, but it always seems that way. There comes a point where they have to start making decisions for themselves so they can practice making decisions. Right, <laughs> yeah. Right. And so, similar, just always having an artistic perspective as I just move, I was always trying to be creative. So, with that, it was a, a proper foundation to move with. Yeah. Because in that, you know, I was just always seeking to be honest with how I want to express. Yeah, and I think that's the thing about art that, you know, through that lens of our own experience, we can get to that honesty yeah. of what my experience was, what your experience was, how you express it, how I express my experience. And everyone's experience is valid. Right. And I think that's the thing about great art is that you get to see a part of someone's experience that maybe you wouldn't have noticed if you just like met them or knew them or whatever. You get to see how they express how they feel and what has happened to them or what their life has been like. For me, that's really why I make art and why I love art in all its forms, whether it's theater or music in all or its forms, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the reason you know why I and I've always promoted that people are artists. Everyone's an artist. They either yes. are aware of it and moving in it. Or they're not aware of it, or somewhere within that spectrum of mm. it. You know, but there's, you know, you're as a human being on Earth, you are by default an artist. You're yes. creating your life. <laughs> yes, you are a creator yeah. in some way. And I tell people, you know, sometimes it's, you know, the way you design a house or the way you whatever. You know, if you have a more traditional career, but everyone has that within them. And people say to me sometimes, they're like, oh, you know, you sing so well, I can't sing. I'm like, uh, 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 uh. Everyone can sing, dance, and write. Mm. Everyone has a story to tell, a body to move, and a voice to express. Right. Yeah. 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 Same thing. So people have to, well, they don't have to, but to to bring more color in one's life, it is best to find out what that expression is mm -hmm. and allow it to flow through. And for some, it'll be multiple expressions, myself, yourself, you know, it's, we find multiple ways. Some people may just come in one particular lane, you know, and that's okay. But just find what that lane is, yeah. you know, and you may not even realize that it's something that you just love to do just you know what i mean and for just, you yeah for you yeah and you just putting you know allowing whatever it is that you love to do to you're bringing your unique experience of life into that love and that's what's going to make it the art you know because mm. no one person is the same as another that's the beauty of this right it's like we're all unique aspects of of the all <laughs> yeah um, of what people would call god or the creator or the supreme force we're all unique aspects of that and so if we can recognize that and apply that to whatever we do then 
we start to activate that artistry within ourselves and it just comes out you know you know it can be a benefit to other people and hopefully inspire them to do the exact same thing yeah you know it's just like the like right now this garden right if everything was just that one green plant mm. it'd be like okay there'd be yeah you know whatever yeah. whatever but yeah. it's the beauty of that you know you have burgundy leaves over here you got you know green one and light green ones there you got a bee over there you got a butterfly there it's all you know it's all unique and individual mm. at the same time together they form the garden that we love to to sit in and experience and yeah. it's the same thing with with human beings we are gardens you know and it's like it's not about trying to copy someone else or be exactly society is telling us we are supposed to be. And particularly, like, for example, living here in Asia, we, you know, where there's so much, you know, structure of roles and this is what you do and you must do that. Yeah, traditionally and, in, and yeah, traditional, yeah, in, and, in, yeah, in and society. You don't forget about what you want to do. Leave that as a hobby. You must go and become a doctor or a lawyer because that's what's going to make you money. Yeah. Regardless of whether you love it or not, that's just, you know, it makes money. So you have to go pursue that path. You know, you see this and it destroys the artistry of the unique individual and their truest contribution to society. You know? so, oh, I like that. Their truest contribution to society. Yeah, I mean, oh, that rings true. For a person to really be truly beneficial to society, they have to do what they love. No, I, I love that. And it's so it. interesting because as an artist or as a creative person, a lot of the time we feel like, or I, I mean, personally on my own journey, I felt like I wasn't allowed to do that. You know, there's a, there's a certain path and you have to follow a certain path and maybe you can make stuff on the side, but that's not really, you know, who you are. And you get to decide who you are yeah. and you get to decide what you want to do with that. So, I mean, it's that path of creative liberation is such an important one not just for the individual but for the contribution that society in general benefits from yeah there are people who love to do every aspect of society there are people who if you took away all the money they would still cook yeah and love to cook for people yeah you know, if you took away money there are people who still love to build houses and you know put things together yeah and there are people who love to fix things yeah if you removed money they still would do it yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so if we can get to a point where parents are guided in how to recognize the natural abilities of their children and mm. what they want to pursue and then guide their children in that process, mm. then it's going to be, you know, benefit everybody because then everybody will become an artist at what they love to do, you know. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Cool. So you were living in Oakland. You stopped skateboarding because you really found a new found love for breakdancing, b-boying, and performing, writing. Writing, and not b-boying. I wasn't b It was more freestyle hip-hop dance. Okay, cool. Under the umbrella of hip-hop dance, there, you know, there are different categories. Of yeah, okay. There's the popping, there's, you know, just freestyle, there's, you know, stand-up hip-hop, there's, there's categories. Okay, cool. Um, and so the one that I gravitated toward was just the freestyle elements of it. Cool. Um, and house dancing as well. Yeah, you've done some workshops here in Bali on house dance, which is really cool yeah. as well. And so is that what you were doing when you came on that first initial trip? No. So I had already moved out of dancing, and I was specifically with the word. That was my primary focus, okay. so uh, rapping and poetry. Yeah, I believe um, around the 
like around the year 2000, moving in around like late 90s, there was quite a big spoken word scene yeah. in the Bay Area. Yeah, and you touched on that. What was that like to be part of that? And you know that electric energy when when you're creating something, but you're also in a group of people that are creating equally great things. Yeah, I mean it's just inspiring. You know, mm. it's like you go to open mic. And everybody's just bringing it. And then as they're bringing it, it just sparks like, oh, 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 you know, I got to go. I got to. Yes, totally, you know? so totally, totally. Everybody's sparking each other to to move up. Mm. And, um, Level up. Right. Yeah. That's the that's the beauty of having a community of people all doing similar expression and a similar element of expression. And so at that particular time, it was like really, really big, you know, and there was a couple movies that came out that promoted spoken word that got popular, which started, you know, open mics popping up all mm. over the place. What were those movies? Uh, Slam was the biggest one, probably, with really showing the scene. Saul Williams did a, this particular movie. It was an underground movie, but, it, you know, it was an independent movie. Yeah, on the indie scene, it was quite big. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but it sparked people to want to write. Mm. You know, and a new generation of poets who who are now coming into poetry with a more hip hop attitude because hip hop had been dominating for the last decade from the nineties until yeah. Slam came out at, you know, around oh, was that two thousand or ninety nine or ninety eight or something like that. Yeah, and then a lot of people who were rappers or whatever, but just wanted to be more free with their expression, moved into writing poetry, but still having that same mentality. So it just elevated and brought new new mm. forms into the form into the yeah. art you know and so for the bay area as the slam scene the actual comp competitive aspect started to get big then you know the bay cast jumped on it in the bay and, and got really big and uh, yeah it's beautiful cool very cool wow yeah all right well, we're gonna take a short break um and then when we come back i want to hear about what you're up to now Exciting news, little humans. Today's episode is brought to you by me, Norma Jean. I make all my art, music, daily doodle cartoons, which you can see on my website, njloves. That's nj, like normajeanloves.com. We've also teamed up with Bali Spirit Festival. It's been mentioned a few times on the podcast, and some of the guests are going to present there. Levi Banner, Nadine McNeil, Awahoshi. It's April 2nd through 8th. 2018. And we've teamed up with them to offer you guys a discount to come to Bali and come to Bali Spirit Festival. So hopefully it's that extra little push to get you over here. Use the code STAYWILD for $40 off the five-day spirit pass or Stay Wild Abundance for $50 off the full enchilada abundance pass. So hopefully for, for those of you that are listening to the podcast and really resonating with the content, with the guests, with the spirit of Bali, it'll help get you here to Bali to meet some of the people that have come on the podcast and really join the spirit of what we're doing. If you do like the podcast, as usual, please subscribe, write us a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, share the show with your friends. It's available on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and also Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts from. So, you know, every time you hear a bell, an angel gets its wings, <laughs> and every time you write a review and share the show, other people are able to find it. It moves us up in the rankings. So hopefully in the, in the algorithm, so hopefully. Hopefully more people will find the show and can share in all of these amazing stories and journeys and niche expertise. So I hope you're enjoying today's episode and let's get back to it. 
All right, little humans, we're back today with Kamau Abiyomi, artist, poet, DJ, choreographer, multidisciplinary artist. And we've been talking about your journey so far um, right before you came up to Bali. So you started out with parents that were really deep in the theatrical scene. Then you moved into an elementary school that was an art-based elementary school, amazing, skateboarding, then moving into the dance culture of the Bay Area, then spoken words. So now you're living in Bali. <laughs> and you came here in 2003, you said you really made the move. And you, 2004. 2004, you made the move. And you've been, your journey so far, you've incorporated a lot of that art and brought it here to Asia. Talk a little bit about that, what that's been like so far, and how the culture here has influenced your artistic journey. Yeah, so when I came in 2004, September 4th, 2004, so I just had my 13 year anniversary. Mm, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> I came and um, I actually wanted to stay in Ubud. So I was, of course, researching if there were any writers here or any type of poetry stuff here. and. I found they were looking for volunteers for the first Writers' Festival, the Ubud Writers' Festival. That was the first year they were doing it. And so um, I volunteered with them. Like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm in town. So I went to, I would go to their meeting. I ended up not staying in Ubud because I just wasn't with the whole everything closing at 8 o'clock thing. At the time, everything shut down at 8. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Back in the day, there was one bar in town open. At after, 9 o'clock, yeah. Ubud was quiet yeah dark it was yeah was there's like, yeah not me yeah there, <laughs> and there wasn't a lot of live music that went really late because in Ubud I don't think we've talked about this yet on the podcast but a lot of the traditional Balinese family homes are in the middle of town yeah. so you can't have live music really late because you're going to wake up these families right right yeah, people, you look at all the shops and you forget there's a complete world on the other side of those shops. Yeah, there's like a whole family <laughs> compound and there's rice fields. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's funny. There was a couple bars open in, in town after that, but they were like heavy drinkers. Right, No right. music. <laughs> was it XL and, um, and, and your other one? Um, CP. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Anyhow, so um, I wasn't down with that. I like If I wanted to go out, I wanted to go out and there was no way to do that. So I stayed down south and I would come up every week just to go to the meetings for the for the writers festival thing so mm. you know having come from the bay with just with all these ideas in terms of events and stuff and so that's yeah. when i presented the the poetry slam it was like we should do a poetry slam incredible then i uh, started you know doing working with them a little bit and then staying down south and connecting with the dancers down there and that was a slow process in terms of it wasn't like i'm gonna go and work with these dancers it's just like you know when you as a hip-hop artist, when you go somewhere and you see hip-hop there, you just connect, you know, just like any yeah, person. Yeah, you're like, they're speaking my language. Right. Yeah, any totally. Any person. If you're a musician, you're looking for musicians. Yeah, I mean, when I see another musician and I'm loving their sound, or when I see another cartoonist and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, there's a part of you that, like, inside of you that sees a part of them that's inside of them. Right. It's like a soul recognition. Totally. Right. Universal language and it's artistic expression, you know. That's why art, it's like, it should be mandatory. Like, if you can't lead anything, any type of, you can't hold a high government position if you haven't if you haven't mastered some art and so yeah. If, yeah. Not, if you can't connect on arts you shouldn't be in that position because you're not thinking creative you can't just no. so just connecting with them I started DJing when I came here because I, I brought a whole lot of music great and a friend of mine he was like so what do you what do you where you want to work he just asked yeah. where do you want to work I was like 
I don't know. He's like, well, I can take you here. And he took me to Coup d'Etat, which was the best place on the island at the time. Yeah, it's a big beach club here in Bali. It's like right on the beach in Seminyak. Yeah, yeah. Like a restaurant. It's, it's not even a club. It was like a lounge restaurant. And, yeah. But they would have big parties every so often. But they had the best DJs there who would play for sunset and dinner time and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, and so he took me there. He was like, all right. And so I spoke with them. And then they said, well, make a mix. Because obviously they never heard me before. I never heard me before. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't done anything yet. But uh, I went to a friend of mine who was a DJ. Went to his house, made a mix, took it back to them and gave it to them. They didn't listen to it. And so I contacted them about a week and a half or so later. And they, they just like, come in and play. So I was like, okay. So I went in. And because it's not a club dance environment it's just ambient and you're just yeah. basically providing music for, to keep the atmosphere nice and good i didn't have to worry about like trying to mix like a club or something like that so i could just play and i just you know i have the feel i had a lot of great music soul music and stuff that can fit the vibe so mm. i played they enjoyed it and so i started working there and basically learned <laughs> as i was yeah playing there watching some of the other djs because in the nighttime sometimes they would you know the djs would, would do some mixes and, and stuff like that and then i would just you know watch over their shoulder and from that uh, people would say hey come and play over here and then I'd go and play somewhere else and then I started there was no places playing like soul based events there was no like real soulful like or, or dance hall or these other genres of music that I love they weren't being played here so I would look for places to play it I went to Apache bar and in, in Kuta and was like hey look, I want to play and I went in and just played dance hall they hadn't heard any dance hall yet oh you know? yeah the first time you hear dance hall it's like what is that right. get me on the dance floor like it's it's music that makes you want to move right and if you know have you been to Apache no, I've never been to Apache. You've no, heard no. of it? Have you heard yeah, of it? Yeah, yeah. It's so, a very big club in the south of Bali. So for those of you at home listening, maybe not in Bali, it's a really big nightclub and it's pretty well known here. Oh, uh, it's a big reggae nightclub. It's a reggae bar. Okay. It's, it's a reggae bar. And so the band, I don't know now, I haven't been there in years, years, years. But yeah. at the time, you go in there and they just play pretty much, it's 90% Bob Marley songs. Oh, yeah, okay. And so all over <laughs> the bar is, you know... The Ethiopian flag and Bob Marley, Bob Marley, Bob Marley, Bob Marley. It's like a Bob Marley temple, essentially. And so I go in there and I'm playing, you know, dance hall, which is you know, a lot more bass heavy. It's not, it's drum drum machine. And the beats come from drum machines and, and yeah. you know, it's it's more contemporary. And so, it's, but it's danceable. So, uh, come, okay, come play. So I started playing there on Friday and Saturdays and the foreigners that would come in there would love it. But the locals would be looking at me like, yeah looking at me crazy like yeah. because i'm not playing bob marley <laughs> yeah it's funny a lot of culture um that's american that that comes to places that are pretty far off the beaten track it's funny what ends up being popular yeah. right so it's you know you go to a bar a lot of the time where you just go out to dinner and they'll have live music and you're going to hear the five the same five songs at every place right or you're going to hear hotel california you're mm -hmm. going to hear heaps of bob marley like three little birds you're going to hear um, no woman, no cry. No woman, no cry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're gonna hear um, some eagles, like yeah, you know. It's, and and I draw it up as is those were the songs that came out that made it out here on those compilation CDs. Totally. Those yeah. Compilation tapes or whatever. It's like, you know, best reggae hits or yeah. best rap hits. Yeah. Or, or whatever, and that's what they got. You know, which is fine. It's cool. And when you have a culture that is very traditional and can listen to the same songs over and over and over, those those were those songs. Totally. You know? So yeah. you'll never get tired of those songs. Meanwhile, because we, we have such a range of even just those artists, yeah. <laughs> we know so many, it's much more of those artists' music that, you know, for us, it's like, all right, come on, come on. 
Yeah. It's more, you know. But anyhow, it's all right. So I started playing there, but their equipment sucked. The DJ and their CDJs had just were coming out. They had like the it looked like the first ones. They were huge. They were huge CDJs, okay. and they were broken. So. I would be playing and sometimes they would just stop or skip or do these things and everybody's looking at me like I'm crazy. And then one time the manager came over and he got upset with me because the thing stopped. And I was telling him, hey, I need to get some new stuff. You know, you need to get new equipment or this is going to bite. You know, it's going to yeah. just shut down one time and not yeah. start again, you know. Messed up one time and he yelled at me like it was my problem. Yeah. And that was it. Like, I don't go for that at all. No. So stop playing there. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that, that happened. <laughs> It's but, really it's interesting though because a lot of the time you know there's when whenever I play somewhere I or I'm part of a creative production I always feel like it's my responsibility to do my best mm-hmm. and I hope that the venue or the production team or whatever does their best yeah. and when they don't meet you there it's always like okay thank you you know there's yeah. like you you just got to gracefully exit yeah. like exit the building yeah <laughs> it's, it's not worth it you know it's you know i tried yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. anyhow but it still it led to you know just i mean other places were were more receptive started a soul party on sundays at this one venue that was nice then embargo was like one of the first primarily hip-hop army clubs that opened that was cool so uh-huh. you know i wasn't playing there regularly but i would be invited in as a guest and then i started emceeing there often cool um, and emceeing just to be clear for those of you at home and also me emceeing is when you dj but you also like have lyrics no emceeing is the guy on the mic Got it. The DJ okay. is the DJ playing the music. So the guy, the MC is the person hyping the crowd. Okay, Everybody cool. put your hands up. Oh, 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 right. Okay, cool. Say, oh, oh. that's right. the MC. So traditionally, that's the traditional, like in hip hop, rap, MCing, like rappers are called MCs. Oh. And traditionally, that's all they did. Like it was the DJ who was the star, you know, and the, the MC was to support the DJ. Yeah. And sometimes, of course, the DJ would, he'd be MCing himself and, and then other people would do it. And then as, you know, time progressed and the what the the MC would say just got longer. So what would start off as if you you know, put your hands in the sky if you're feeling fly. Put your hands in the sky if you're feeling fly. It's just that's a simple line. Yeah. But then, you know, over time you're gonna put your hands if it's put your hands in the sky if you're feeling fly. Yeah. Turn around, find you a nice guy, find you a nice girl. We all around the world. You know, it just got yeah. extended longer until it became an art form in and of itself of rapping, you know? Cool. So, but it started with just the DJ was the dude and the MC's on the mic hyping up the crowd. Okay, cool. So, at Embargo, I started doing that. So, just just hyping up the crowd. But then, of course, I also could rap. So, whenever there was space on a a track, then, you know, I would rap over that section or whatnot. But it was mostly about, you know, supporting the DJ. Yeah. And so, um, I was the first one in Bali doing that. And I don't know, I can't, arguably, Jakarta, I don't know. But, I know nobody, I didn't see anybody, and I was going to Jakarta pretty often yeah. until I started doing stuff there, emceeing with DJ. There were rappers there, definitely not saying yeah. that, but in terms of party emceeing, hyping up the crowd, yeah. well, nobody doing that until you know, I was coming through here. Cool. And so, like, when you see, if you see MC on a flyer with a party MC, with MC owner, that's because, you know, folks were watching me. So, like, the a lot of the local MCs now who have their career that's what they do they yeah. go around they MC events and they were watching me at Embargo these are people who were yeah. under my tutelage so to speak cool <laughs> cool okay so you started DJing then you MC'd and now lately you I mean you wrote a book I think two years ago mm-hmm. your book came out exciting yeah lately what have you been what, what's been your primary focus artistically 
So primary as of now is consolidating everything that I do into a few, just mm. one, like really one offering mm. that can go in, in a few different directions. So yeah. the principle of why I say like activated artistry, that's that's not the foundation of it. My, my thing is just inspiring people to realize that they are artists and assisting and activating that. Mm. And so when I go to different places like for, I just came back from a tour a couple of months ago just touring around the states and mm -hmm. went to Japan and did some work and I present a package it's like okay we can I can offer you just a normal DJ thing I do ecstatic dances now so that's starting to get more and more known and, yeah. and, and bigger so I offer that mm -hmm. a normal DJ set with you know poetry and rap and I tend to mix it mm -hmm. or a qigong workshop as a qigong practitioner cool. and for those of you at home sorry for those of you at home ecstatic dance is pretty much where you connect with the music you don't talk you're there for the entire time you see what comes up and you just move however your body wants to move yeah it's essentially it's a, a non-alcohol dance space yeah there's no altered consciousness no it's uh it's just communicate with your body yeah, yeah, straight up, and, and dive into the music and allow it so allow it to to guide your expression and move how it needs to move in order to do what you need to do, have fun or you know release or charge up or whatever it is. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, totally. And qigong, for those of you at home, it's kind of similar to tai chi, right? It's a lot of slow movements with attached breath. Is that correct? Yeah. So tai chi is we can say is an aspect of qigong. Qigong okay. is is the core. It's, it's like there's martial qigong, which is a, what you see in fighting and kung fu. Like if you see movies, all the power if they're breaking bottles and yeah, you know, getting stabbed and not getting cut and all that stuff. That's just knowing that's qigong. That's knowing how to move energy in your body to where it needs to go. So if you need to have an impactful punch or kick, you know how to move energy into your your fists and your feet to to have that force. Okay. Same in reverse in terms of in a protective sense. You can move it to protect. You can move it into specific organs for healing. It's just Qigong is learning how to move energy through the body. Okay, cool. That comes through, yeah, focused breathing. And um, there's dynamics Qigong where there's movement. And uh, you have the movement, you have the breath, and then your intention, which is really what makes it, you know, uh, directional and, and focused in terms of moving the energy. It's your intention. And so these, these elements make up Qigong. And I'm not, like, I'm in no way a master. I just... I started studying about four years ago, and it was on and off. Mm -hmm. And then at the beginning of last year, just the situation that I was in kind of forced me to do it if I wanted to just basically stay <laughs> in mm -hmm. balance and not go off the edge. Mm -hmm. So I started doing it every day, and then I was doing it you know, in nature and over the course of a few months. And then my, my teacher was having a, a, um, a training in Thailand. So I was like, I want to go and ended up attending that. Just really, really diving in for a few weeks. And then um, yeah, I got certified and I'm, st and I'm just now moving into the space where I'm, yeah, I'm ready to share. So, cause I didn't go into it to teach. Like I didn't go to the training to say, oh, I want to be a teacher. I want to go and teach everybody and yeah. make this a career or anything like that. No, I wanted to just go deeper with the practice. Yeah. But then people started asking me. Ah, stuff, so. it's always funny. You know, sometimes you throw something out there and you're like, yeah, I'll just try this out or I'll see how it goes. And when it resonates with people, you know, you follow the, yeah. you follow the breadcrumbs. Yeah. Yeah, it's happened like that for a couple people I know with specific projects, and then it just becomes a thing. Yeah. So you never really know. It's exciting. Yeah, and so with the Qigong, as I was practicing, and here's where the arts come into it, I had a show at a, 
at Villa Akasha one time. This is last year. Mm-hmm. I was practicing Qigong on the beach in the morning and I had finished doing my session and I was just standing in the water thinking about what I wanted to perform that night. It was going to mm. be some poetry. And then I just started reciting the poem with just reciting it to the elements mm. and going through a few things and reciting it to the elements. And one particular piece I have is, is sort of a mantra for myself. I wrote it like it was the last piece I wrote before I came out here. And it's just a real affirmative piece. At the time, I was spending a lot of time by myself. Mm. And so I was was reciting that to the ocean and standing in it. Anyhow, later on that night, I start to recite the piece. And as I recite it, I just feel a surge of energy just fully engulf my body. Like mm. a surge. Just, just, and it was, it was like I was, I felt like I was shaking. Like I was mm. having a seizure. Like going like this or something. Mm. Like shaking. Yeah, your hands were. Yeah. yeah, but you know, I lifted my hands to look at them and they were fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, so, you know, I've done this piece so many times. I can, you know, I can do the piece and just, think and and be like what you know yeah you know you know when you it's kind of like driving once you learn how to drive you can think and talk and have a whole conversation so it's like that with certain poems i've recited it so much it's so in my body i can do it yeah (laughs) and i have a whole nother world yeah it's like that with my songs i'm like okay i'm singing a song while i'm singing i'm like what song's next what's next how's the set going how's the crowd you feel it out and you can direct your energy other places it's interesting yeah right now that's a, that'd be an interesting study. I wonder if they've studied that, like to be able to just fully do that. But anyhow, uh, so this surge is coming up, and so I'm like, "What is this? What is going on?" Yeah. And again, it wasn't it wasn't scary or anything like that. It just was like, "Whoa!" And then after the the presentation of it, then of course the energy just came back down to to normal. Mm-hmm. And then I just felt supercharged, right? Mm. And so afterwards, a few people were coming up to me, and then we ended up engaging in this, just sitting. And this is at Akasha now; they're all everybody's dancing, but we're sitting over here on this couch, engaged yeah. in this this conversation. Yeah, about it's arts a big and, venue with a lot of pockets yeah. to kind of get, yeah, 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 to have space. But this is right in the main where people are dancing right here. But we're just right here on the side on this uh-huh. couch and engaged in this conversation. And a couple people were coming over, and we're just, you know, and it it really charged me up. Like just just reciting it, mm. and I, again I performed it so many times that I've never felt that before. And so, as I was reflecting on that, I reflected like, oh, okay. Within the piece, there's a lot of elements of water. Like I, I'm, there's a lot of water references, mm. imagery, flow, and it made me reflect of doing it and reciting it within the water earlier that day. After having already done qigong, which I've opened up a lot of channels and allowed energy to move fluid fluid and, and flow through my body that it's this particular element charged up the words that I was reciting. And so when I began to recite it in the in the context of in that context, it just all that energy just came up, you know? And from that, I was just like, well what if I do that intentionally? What if I write something intentionally and go and recite it to the elements and put it into my being. And then after that is done then recited what would happen right Mm. so i did this i wrote a particular piece that incorporated different uh, natural elements into it and i waited (laughs) yeah and then when i went to recite it i felt it again okay wow and so i was like okay this here is when when people talk about invocations and spell casting even that that's this is what they're speaking to they're just these words these Mm. these mantras all these things that that we speak 
on a, on a normal basis take on a whole nother level when we actually charge them up with the with the elements that they yeah. were speaking to. Yeah, and the intention behind the intention it. Behind it. Yeah, it's so interesting because a lot of artists don't like to talk about creative energy, mm. but it really is an element of what we create and how we share it. Right. It's it's so interesting. I mean, a lot of the time I know some writers who talk about it who, you know, I think it's like catching a wave, you know? And a, mm. and a lot of the time you have to make sure that you're in the water and you got your board, but you, when the wave comes, you catch the wave. Because, mm. yeah, I mean, creative energy is such a uh, ununderstood thing. Mm. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Wow. So, so with that, this is the... The foundation for for the art, the activated artist workshop. Great. So it doesn't matter what your discipline is. That you know, I mean, I can I can speak to it, and it's just providing means in which we can elevate the art and take the art from being just art for art's sake, but moving into a level of it being truly transformative for mm. oneself and, and embodying embodying it. it. Yeah. Straight up, like really, really feeling know the power within what is being created <laughs> yeah you know yeah and then from that space you know if it can of course if it can happen within oneself then it can then extend out into the community and be transformative for others yeah because uh, i mean a lot of people don't talk about this but creative energy is the energy of bringing something into the world it's the energy of creation right yeah right. absolutely so with that bringing with more intent mm it can we can have more focus of what's being birthed yeah you know, what's being created what's coming in you know, there was a a couple of years ago i had an idea and it's still there i haven't when the time is right it'll i'm sure it'll mm. come forth but i have a, a theatrical thing that i wanted to or i want to do that is about the birth of a god like how that happens yeah you know cool because a lot of the what people will say our gods are actual just thought forms that collective consciousness has created yeah and given birth to yeah i've heard a couple of, of people say that you know like when people pray to different hindu gods they're not praying to an actual you know deity they're praying to the energy and what that particular incarnation represents yeah yeah. So there's that. There's also, I mean, there's both. Yeah. <laughs> there's the energy, the thought form energies that are created. And there's also, you know, beings that are, are manipulative assholes that are around too. Uh, that's another discussion. That is another podcast episode. But, uh, <laughs> that exists as well. So it's both. But a lot of it is elemental energy. And a lot of it is thought form energy that has been empowered by the number of people who believe in this particular thought form, particular energy. Yeah, collective consciousness. Right. Absolutely. And as people disbelieve things or people start losing belief in something mm -hmm. or whatever, they lose their form. Yeah. And thus a lot of the required rituals or things that are given to certain humans to say, oh, we must do this, is to keep the life of that particular form going. Mm, yeah. You know? Uh, so it is, that's, it shows you how powerful human creation and creative thought can be. Yeah. And so if we have the intention, so with this particular piece, I was thinking, it's like, okay, what if we birth the God of collaboration? Mm. <laughs> what would that, how would that process have like? Well, it would be a collaborative one. Right. <laughs> right. right. Where, you know, anytime artists got together, it's just like, okay, we're going to invoke the, the deity of collaboration. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Which would allow the... You know the the flow and the harmony of each person who's in the in the process of collaborating mm. to come out to its fullest. Yeah, within and yourself within, and within the yeah. group dynamic. Right. 
Oh, how fun is that? So I was playing with a theatrical piece that would be, you know, with that particular element. Oh, I love it. Fantastic. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And we have a special treat today for today's Toast Poem. Kamau is actually going to share one of his pieces. So we're going to take a short break and then here we go. All right, everyone, we're back today with today's toast poem, and I'm so excited that Kamau is going to share an original poem that he wrote. So you're getting a break from me this week, you guys, because <laughs> Kamau is sharing. I'm so honored that you came on the show and you're going to share your work. So, and all of Kamau's links are in the show notes for the podcast, so you can... Um, Find him there, check out his music, look at some workshops, a lot of really cool stuff happening. So right. oh, I gotta give you the music one out of music. All right, well you'll give it to me. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> we'll have it in the show notes, guys. We've got a couple of weeks till this episode comes out. So come out, tell us a little bit about um, this piece and then please go for it. Okay. Um, I just wrote this a couple nights ago. I was in Java. Uh, going to do a performance and um, yeah I was staying in a room with a broken AC and it was humid and there was no water and you can't drink the tap water and there was about 20 mosquitoes and yeah having a, a bit of um, heartbreak and confusion with uh, a particular person who I was who I am dealing with who you know I have a, a deep loving connection with but just a confusing period mm. um, and as I was saying earlier, that art is a healing tool. And so I utilize it as a healing tool. Mm. And this particular piece brought me back to balance. Just writing it brought me back to balance. Just mm. allowing that energy to come out in this way. So, um, yeah, it's fresh. I've never spoken it aloud. So excuse me if there's a little bit. Oh, we're so honored. <laughs> World premiere. What's it called? Do we have a name yet? Um, well, this application called it Where, Where Are You From? So okay. I, I guess we can say that. <laughs> Here's Kamau with Where Are You From? <laughs> All right, little humans, here we go. Little humans. Where are you from? I don't know, though I haven't forgot. One night I was laying on a meadow of diamonds, gazing at a crystalline mountain and sparkling trees in the distance. There were three radiant moons resting in the sky above, blue, purple hues. Another night I sat alone at 4 a.m. in a San Francisco 24-hour donut shop with a backpack and a skateboard and enough change in my pocket for one more maple old-fashioned and a coffee or a bus ride. The table was my pillow. I am transcended immersion, the art of paradox. My heart is shattered, but they love my set, and she loves my movement, but refuses it for reasons only her mother knows for certain. You would look tired, too, if the bags under your beloved shadow were suddenly thrust upon your eyes. Silence betrays me on this night. Sleepless soul in a humid room with broken AC and human emotions and 20 mosquitoes. I am from lost memories of my parents kissing in a Fillmore bar. I am from af after you pass through that star. I am from where you are, here. I am from where we disappear. You don't sound like you're from. Oh, there it is. I dare to live before and after this. No origin story for infinity. Only for the waves that rise and can be explained in chemistry. And I am from an in infinity. Genderless, but I call her she. She comforts me when you limit me. When you limit me to that place in space and time, when you limit me to that character in a temporary act in space and time, she reminds me when I limit me, when I limit me to that place in space and time, when I limit me to that character in a temporary act in space and time, she kisses my forehead so I can lose my mind and return to where I'm from before design. 
And that's that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. All right, little humans, that's today's show. I hope you enjoyed our interview with Kamau and his poem that he brought, which I feel really honored that he shared with us, world premiere and all that. As usual, if you like the show, please subscribe, write us a review on iTunes, share it with all your friends. You can find us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts from. Today's episode is brought to you by me, Norma Jean. I'm a singer-songwriter living here in Ubud, Bali, and you can see all my shenanigans on my website, and njloves.com nj like norma jean loves.com there's music from the show shirts of all my cartoons you can see the entire archive of over 1,000 of my cartoons I post daily and uh, if you are able to come to Bali Spirit Festival which Kamau is at quite a lot he's performed I think at almost all of them so far we're really honored so if you are coming to Bali Spirit Festival hopefully you'll get to see Kamau and use the code Stay Wild if you're going to get the five-day spirit pass or Stay Wild Abundance for the full enchilada abundance pass experience. So hopefully that'll make the difference and help bring you to Bali if you're thinking about it. Until next time, little humans, stay wild. So we keep on keeping on.